I tell you, and I'm in one of those moods. I, you know, they've inspired. I said, Becky, why don't you come up here and we'll do the sermon together? No, we. I'm actually, you know, I, you just got to know. Uh, <clears throat> it was kind of interesting for me. Uh, I started early doing things I probably ought not to do. You know, I used to go home and mimic people after church. Drove my mom and dad nuts. Uh, oh, I'm the kid who got in trouble, got called down Sunday morning. My dad is preaching Randy for a row because I was throwing spit wads at girls in the back. You know, went to uh, went to college and uh, got to college and went. To my first year, I went to Missouri uh, South uh, Southwest Baptist University in uh, Bolivar, Missouri. A guy by the name of Kit Bond was running for governor of the state, and I took the bumper stickers. Me and another guy, and one of the guys was in his room. We just bumper stickered half on the half on the door sill and half on the door all the way around his door. He couldn't open it from the other side. I'm the guy who talked to a good friend of another guy into calling him at three o'clock in the morning, telling him his car was broken down out at the truck stop, but he come pick him up, and then we watched him drive out to go get him. Now, you, you don't know what the significance of that, because I'm sitting here tonight, and I'm thinking, I, I'm thinking about uh, uh, looking around. And th- you know, there's nobody over here. What would really be interesting one Sunday evening, if you all just eat just one person to a corner in every pew, I bet, I bet that just, just, just freaked Dwayne out. <laughs> and, and then, you know, I, I, he's been gone. Yeah, I know he wasn't here this morning, so let me just, just see if I can get you in the mood. Shoot that thing. And I got to thinking about that. Remember those guns that you don't pull out? You pull through, they go bang. What would happen if everybody had one of those next time the way it said, shoot that thing? And I thought, well, we couldn't have probably afford to buy the gun, but you could put it on a stick with bang on it and just hold up and wave it like a flag. And then we got down there, and, and Donnie says, give me my keys. And I want to say, did you look in your pocket? That's where I keep my key. But I didn't, so I guess I'll just preach tonight. I don't know what else to do. And uh, with that in mind, I, have, I give you no guarantees at all about tonight. What? Who said I could sing? I don't think so. She would even join me in, in row, row, row your boat today. I don't know about that. Well, open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. Also got in trouble in gym class one one time. I was in high school, and you know, in gym class, you always count off. They tell you count off by two so you can get two teams, one, two, one, two, one, two. I decided we'd do it the mathematical way. I talked to everybody in the locker room when he says count off by two, go two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve. I don't know how many sit-ups, push-ups, and laps we ran that day, but <clears throat> I didn't do that again. So uh, I wish I could say I'd learned my lesson, but I haven't. Uh, did the snow cones up at uh, Ridgeway for their VBS kickoff Thursday night, and I was telling them we had root beer. And I told them, well, we went out, and uh, that morning I went out and cut the roots out of a tree and put them in the press and squeezed all the sap out of them to make that root beer syrup for those snow cones. And I told them that uh, with the uh, bubblegum snow cones, I'd chewed 10,000 pieces of bubblegum that then spit it all in that jug. 
And all the kids but one knew I was kidding them. So, you know, then we have a new flavor. Let me ask you a question. I'm taking a survey for real. How many of you know what a fuzzy navel is? It, it, it surprises me that in the Baptist Church we have that many people who know what, what an alcoholic drink is. I've seen that on television. I had no idea what a fuzzy navel drink was. And uh, we have fuzzy navel syrup for our snow cones. And uh, I won't tell you what I was telling the kids about that Friday night that uh, the uh, with the trailer at Pankyville, but you can figure that out for yourself about fuzzy navels. But uh, I just, the survey's interesting. I had no idea what the fuzzy navel was a drink, and if I've got it right, it's orange juice and peach schnapps. Is that right? See, there it is. I just blows my mind. Oh, well. See, you have to fill time when you've got a short syrup. No. 2 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 10. Let's take a look at this tonight. You'll recognize this. Paul is talking about his afflictions and, and about boasting and not boasting and that kind of thing. And I just find this kind of interesting to look at. So let's take a look at it. 2 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 10. Are you ready to shoot that thing? All right, here we go. It is necessary to boast... It is not helpful, but I will move on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who was caught up into the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether he was in body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. I know that this man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. Was caught up into paradise. He heard inexpressible words which a man is not allowed to speak. I will boast about this person but not about myself, except of my weaknesses. For if I want to boast, I will not be a fool, because I will not be telling the truth. Because I will be telling the truth. But I will spare you, so that no one can credit me with something beyond what he sees in me or hears from me, especially because of the extraordinary revelations. Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me a messenger of Satan, to torment me so I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. So because of Christ, I am pleased in weaknesses in insults, in catastrophes, in persecutions, and in pressures. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for being here tonight. And Father, that we can that we can not only worship you and rejoice in worshiping, but Father, we can laugh together because we are family. Father, we want you to speak to us from your word tonight. Brother, you tell us that your word is profitable, and we could go into the list of everything it's profitable for, but, Father, it's just good for us. It's good for us to read it. It's good for us to hear what you have to say to us about it. So, Father, we ask tonight that you would speak to us. 
from your word. Amen. I don't know, how many of you watch a lot of, never mind, I'm not going to ask that. I, uh, <clears throat> I get kind of intrigued sometimes by television evangelists. And uh, there are a few on today, and I guess there are some on the radio. I, I don't hear much radio religious broadcasting anymore. But I guess there are some who basically want to try to proclaim that uh, God's will for your life is to have it all. You know, God just wants to bless you abundantly, and you ought to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. And if you're not, there's something wrong with your life. I, uh, I think there's some problems with that theology scripturally. I uh, belong to a discussion group for two of them, one for prayer requests and one for prayer praises. And I'm always intrigued by those who get on there in that discussion group and they ask for prayer for some kind of illness. And there's one lady who is a minister who says, uh, quotes an Old Testament passage about by his stripes you are healed. Has nothing to do with physical healing. Has to do with the sin condition in your life. She pulls it completely out of context. We seem to have this, this thing that, you know, we, we hear it so often. You know, God wants to bless your life, and he does. But we move on to that and say, if, God, if, if, if things aren't going well in your life, if you don't have this wealth, if you don't have this prosperity, if you don't have this health, then something must be wrong in your life. You must have sinned. And if you confess your sin, everything will be all right again. And I think there are some real problems with that from Scripture. I don't, think you can, I don't think you can verify that from Scripture, but what I think you can do, and here's a good example of it in this passage of Scripture from 2 Corinthians, is understand that the Bible teaches that affliction brings perfect power in our lives. If you're not careful, what you end up doing is asking the question that is so often answered. If you believe that everything ought to be great for all those who follow God, then the question you have to ask is, why do the evil prosper and the good suffer? And if you think about that question, there's no good answer for that. There's no answer that satisfies our human minds because that seems so unjust to us in our way of thinking. Paul struggled with something. And we find that not only did Paul struggle, but a lot of people struggled in the Bible with afflictions. It's a reality that you can't get around. For instance, consider some of the godly men of the Bible. How about Moses? Did Moses have struggle with afflictions and adversity in his life? Absolutely. How about, uh, oh, Elisha or Elijah? Those two that we have trouble sometimes to get it mixed up when we're trying to recall events in which they were involved. Did they have struggles or afflictions? Or adversity in their life? Absolutely. And you might go along with that list. There was Abraham. Uh, I mean, it's been a while since I've been calling my children on the old. Take care of them. Also, back to the 
side where it says mute. Mute. Testing one, two. Okay, I need to go see Bennett. She sent me a card about two years ago that said, you're due for your checkup. My glass has been doing real good. I haven't had any of my eye problems, so I told you the day I really need to go see her. I think I'm beginning to have trouble focusing on some things. But anyway, how about David? You know, there's a guy. I mean, he was crazy to get away from some adversity in his life. And uh, I always like it when they say, you know, if you're falling for Christ, you don't have to have any adversity, any affliction, or any problems. And I, you know, if you're living for God, I wonder what the world was happening with Jesus. I mean, somehow to me, the cross seems like a major burden in your life. Now he's bringing me another one. All right. We just keep taking around. How about stereo? Can you all hear me in stereo? <laughs> So I'll talk on this one while he gets back there. Okay. And then you have Paul. All these people struggled with, we're making a change. There we go. All these people struggle with technology. Didn't I say something about that someplace? I don't know today about the miracles of technology. How about the frustrations? How about afflictions of technology? We all have those kinds of things come into our lives. It's a reality, and we find it throughout the Bible. And I, for all of those guys, for people like Ruth, just so I didn't leave any ladies out, or Esther, or Mary, or Elizabeth in the New Testament, all of those people, the bottom line, I think, is that their adversity, their afflictions, their suffering, whatever it is, brought humility in their life. And that's an important thing for us. Because when you start talking to the psychologist and psychiatrist, they say we suffer from low self-esteem. And I think there may be some who do, but that's not most of our problems. Most of us struggle from high self-esteem. We think we're doing pretty good. We like to strut our stuff. And we just feel like things are really going well in our lives. Well, tomorrow I may feel. Right now I feel pretty, pretty healthy. Tomorrow, maybe I'll feel wealthy. Maybe that Reader's Digest sweepstakes will call me and say, you've won. I'm not going to hold my breath, but maybe. You know, tomorrow I may feel real wealthy. But the reality is, most of us don't struggle with low self-esteem. We have trouble with high self-esteem. We think we're better than we are. I mean, nobody really wants to admit that we are sinners who need the grace that comes from our Father through Jesus Christ. No, none of us like to think we're so messed up some guy had to die on a cross for us. That's just not where we want to park in our lives. 
We like to think we're pretty good. And in fact, if you talk to people, you all who have taken the courses, you know that when you ask people if God should ask you why he should let you in heaven, what would you say? And the number one answer is, well, because I'm pretty good. I'm trying to live a good life. We all think we're better than we are. I really think that's what was at the issue in Paul's life. Look at it again. It is necessary to boast. It is not helpful, but I will move on to visions and revelations. And he begins to talk about this man who was caught up into heaven. And the implication in all that is that it was Paul. If anybody had something to boast about, it was Paul. I was persecuting the Christians. My life was messed up. And I want you to know I was apostle born out of the due time. I had a relationship with, with Christ on the road. He appeared to me in a vision. And, and I spent days blind and my sight was restored. And I've been walking with Christ. And I want you to know it's been a great, wonderful life. And now I'm going out telling people about Jesus. It couldn't get any better than this. Look at what I'm doing for Christ. <laughs> Did it last long? Well, not according to Paul. He tells us that he had every right to boast. He says, I will spare you that in verse 6. And then you come down to verse 7. Therefore, because of all the extraordinary revelations he had, thinking he was pretty close to, 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 to God is my take on that. He says, therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan, to torment me, so I would not exalt myself. No, I do not believe Paul was married and this was his wife. I've heard that. I don't believe it. Some said it's his eyesight. He couldn't. He had vis, uh, vision problems. He should have gone to see Benna. Uh, I don't know what that was for sure. You and I do not know what it was for sure. But Paul writes and says, God gave me this thorn in my flesh to remind me of my relationship with him. Really what he's saying is God gave me this thorn in my flesh to bring me down a notch or two. Had his fingers in his suspenders, thinking, "I am pretty good. Look from where I look where I've come from and where I am." And Paul says, "Because of that, I mean, today, if you're having visions, we're probably going to tell you you're delusional. But Paul was having visions from the Lord." Man, that must have been a spectacular thing. Be caught up into the heavens. And then he ends up with this thorn in the flesh. Now, let's understand something. Where did the thorn come from? Did it come from God? That's right, it came from Satan, Terry. I don't think God causes all the adversity and affliction in our lives, but I think He uses that. He uses that to humble us, to keep us in a right relationship with Him. And why is that? Because when you and I are fighting Satan, we realize real quick that you and I can't do it on our own. 
I can do a lot of things. I think I'm doing it on my own. Uh, my daughter tells me what I don't want to do on my own anymore. She says, Dad, please don't do power tools anymore on your own. She said, you shot yourself in the, in the leg with a nail gun. You sawed your finger off partially. Don't handle power tools. And it's a big joke now. If I say I'm going to buy a new power tool, she just kind of don't bad or shakes her head or something. You know, we think we can do great things. And we think we're pretty good at some things. And God has to allow Satan to sift through our lives to humble us and bring us back in a right relationship with him. Talking to pastors sometimes, or guys who believe God has called them ministry, who say, you know, I just don't think I can preach. I get nervous. My response to them is, you can't preach. Doesn't mean I have to hear you until you can't preach. You're going to do that through Christ. Nobody can stand and proclaim God's word Sunday after Sunday without the presence and power of Christ in his life. Not only that, but then they tell me, well, I get nervous when I stand up there. And I remind them, if that ever leaves you and you think you can do that without being nervous about proclaiming God's word to God's people, then you need to resign and go find something else to do. You see, I'm afraid that in many of our lives without adversity, without afflictions, without suffering, we begin to think that we are God and we are in control of our lives. And God allows Satan to sift us and use us and, and work in our lives to remind us that you and I are not in control. Never have been and never will be. Paul, if I understand this correctly, recognized that his affliction, his thorn in the flesh, controlled by Satan, sent by Satan, was given to him to control his conceit and to keep him humble. Nothing humbles us more quickly in affliction. Man, you think you're doing well physically? Just let some kind of physical pain or physical problem come in your life and all of a sudden you realize, hey, I'm not doing so well. In the good old days, before God delivered me more or less from my allergy more than less, uh, there were those nights with frequency where I'd just soon been dead, didn't live. Where I thought, the, the, you know, the, the, maybe if I just bumped my head against the wall long enough, the sinuses would clear up and I could breathe again, type of thing. In the midst of that, I realized that I was not invincible. That without the grace of God, the suffering was more than I could bear. And God reminded me 
who was in control. There are times in our life when God afflicts us with not only physical problems, or allows us to be afflicted, not only with physical problems, but with emotional problems. I've probably told you this before. There's a time in my life where I thought I had arrived. I lived in an all-brick home that I owned along with the bank. Pretty cool for me. I had two preschool children. Thought that was pretty cool. I was serving a church that started out running, when I went there, running about 220 in Sunday school. And when I resigned and left two years later, we were running, we had Sundays of 400 plus. Not only that, but Sunday school board, I had a friend who recommended me to Sunday school board, and they were sending me, flying me, different places around the country to do church growth conferences. Frankly, I thought I had it made. Seemed pretty neat to me. And in the midst of all that, the emotional stress, the emotional torment came in my life. And I went through a period of probably the deepest depression that I have ever known in my life. Becky asked on more than one night, do you want me to take the kids and leave? And I said, that's not the answer. I would go to my office, shut my door. My, my office, I had an L-shaped office. I could walk over here on this side. Nobody could look in the window of my office and see me, and i just lay in the carpet all morning and hope it would get better. We were living in St. Louis, and um, my family lived in Illinois, and there were several times that I drove over to see my parents. I thought, you know, Maybe a hard right turn at 65 miles an hour and a car going right over the railing into the Mississippi. No. Where'd that come from? Painful go through. Would I trade it? No. No. Because God used that experience in my life to remind me. It's not you. It's me. Sometimes there are family situations in our life. A wayward child. Marital problems in our home. Maybe problems with our parents or grandchildren whose lives just don't seem to be right. And we've tried to fix those the best we can, and God reminds us in the midst of that, hey, is there anything you can do about it? It's me. It's me. God uses those experiences in our lives to, to control our conceit, to humble us, to bring us to the realization that affliction, adversity, 
What does the scripture say? Produces what? Power. Look at it. My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. You know why that's true? Because if you and I don't understand the midst of all our vainglory, where we think we're in charge and things are going well and we've got it under control, God can't work in our lives. Because we're doing the work. But when you and I are, are humbled by God through the afflictions of the adverse in our life, and we see that we do not have our control, then God says, guess what? Now you can turn over to me, and I can work in your life. My grace is sufficient for you, and through my grace, power, my power is perfected in weakness. This much I, I know. I, I, I don't lift weights. Uh, I know you can tell that by looking at me. But I know this about weightlifting. Do you know how you build muscles in weightlifting? So, yeah, you lift weights. Now, what, what's involved in what happens when you lift weights? You burn. In it, you know, that, that, that feeling you get if you lift enough weights, you actually feel your muscles burn. That's exactly what's happening. You have to damage your muscle to build new muscle. If I've got it right, that's what I've, that's what I've read and what I've been told. You have to stretch to the limit and actually break or burn that muscle for it to rebuild stronger than it was before. When I discovered that and I thought about this passage, you know, I really don't like this passage. I don't like thinking about that, that God's got to break me. God's got to burn my, my head muscle, my heart muscle that says I'm in charge. Before his power can take control in my life. My power is perfected in weakness, in your weakness. Paul said, I've got every reason to boast, but here's what I want you to know. It's not about me, it's about God. And because I lost sight of that, God gave me this thorn in my flesh, sent by Satan, to use that to remind me that it's his power that is perfected in weakness through his grace. And you and I need to learn that lesson in our lives. Affliction brings a natural desire for victory over the problem. We all want to be released from that affliction, from that adversity, from that suffering in our life. And when you and I find out that we can't do it, it's a time we call out to God and say, Father, I can't handle this. This is beyond me. I don't have a clue what to do with this in my life. And then, it's as though Christ says, you know what? I've been waiting for you to say that. I've been waiting for you to admit that. And here's what I want you to know. Now that you know, you can't do anything about it. Let me take control. And you'll learn where your power comes from in life. 
What a great lesson for you and me to remember because I suspect we all struggle with vanity, conceit, vainglory in our lives from time to time. And in order to grow us in a more perfect relationship with Him, our Lord has to come along and allow Satan to sin and affliction and adversity as suffering in our lives to remind us that without me, you can do nothing. But with me, you can do all things because my grace is sufficient to bring power through your weakness. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you Father, I suspect everybody here tonight is suffering from some weakness in their life. There's an affliction or an adversity or some suffering that's going on. It may be physical, it may be mental, Father, it may be spiritual. Father, they're trying to get a handle on it tonight. And you've reminded them that there's not anything they can do about it. They can't fix what's broken because they don't have the ability to do so. Father, you remind them tonight that... uh, through this problem in their life, that your grace is sufficient. Father, through the weakness in their lives, your power is great enough to bring peace. in the midst of the affliction. Father, we didn't talk about the fact tonight that uh, Paul, as far as we know, never claimed victory in terms of the uh, thorn being removed from his life. But Father, he found out that through your grace, he had power to overcome the power of affliction in his life. Father, it reminds us that uh, we may never be free from the suffering or adversity or affliction in our lives. But Father, if we can trust you, it will be okay. Father, we're going to sing a hymn of invitation. And as we sing tonight, Father, as you touch our lives, help us to make the right decision. Father, just show us what we need to do.
for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.